the morning sports desk for Wednesday, September 27th. Corey, it was a pretty special night of high school volleyball and a celebration of volleyball last night up in Sabika. I'm going to give you the floor. What the heck happened last night? Well, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, uh, the Sabika Trojans hosted the Nevis Tigers, and uh, uh, as a part of it, the part of the like pregame, well, the whole night celebration, I guess, was a celebration of 50 years of Minnesota girls volleyball. And uh, uh, the uh, two teams together, they had organized an, an opportunity for some uh, folks regionally who have made a, a major impact in, in, you know, pioneering girls sports in central Minnesota. Um, uh, and uh, it was just really cool. There was a a nice program insert uh, in last night's match. There was a little pregame ceremony between the anthem and starting lineups where uh, they were all recognized for uh, what they've done to make girls sports in the state what it is. Um, uh, the The little presentation, it was, uh, I think the first volleyball match in the state was in Anoka in 1974 if i um heard that correctly uh it was immediately popular there were maybe like 8000 girls in the state who participated mm-hmm. there's 20000 now wow in 2023 it's the most participated uh in girls sport in the state of minnesota i believe in the in the country and it was just really cool to be uh, uh to be a part of there were uh, five folks recognized Coach Pulio and Coach Wormley of Sabika and Nevis. Um, uh, they've gotten to know each other really well over the years as, as their time as head coach. And before the match, I I asked each of them. Said I don't want to like you don't need to give me like a quote to put on the air, but you know what? What about tonight is is so special? And they were obviously like, well. You know, it's, it's the sport we love, it's the sport we coach, and, and this is so huge. But what's even more important than that is all of these women here tonight are, they've, they've been my mentor, they said, each of them. This is like, I, I asked them independently the same question, and they each said, uh, those five women have been mentors. Like, if I have a coaching question, I can call them. Uh, uh, they've helped me understand what it means to like lead a program, but also how we can get involved locally and maybe at the state level to help grow the sport. Um, and all five of them are not only mentors, they're friends. Like we, we do stuff together. We hang out together. And I just thought it was really cool. It was a, it was a special night. Of course, uh, you know, you you go to something like that, 50 years of volleyball in the state, I immediately thought about, like, my mom and sister who played volleyball and, and and uh, you know, I, I understand in this whole process I'm just a guy and uh, guys haven't had much problem getting anything going in this country maybe ever. But, like, my mom's involvement in the sport of volleyball is – directly related to me being in the sport of volleyball right like she was uh, a high school coach um, she would help run camps in the summers and I was oftentimes the only boy at those camps um, she was a collegiate volleyball player herself she played at St. Ben's and um, it was just cool to be a part of that and and think about what that you know those women are a, a generation older than my mom but it that's it that's all it is right that's that's 
You don't have to go. 1974 is not that long ago. I'm 38. That's only 11 years longer than I've been alive. It's not that long ago that uh, this really started to happen. So it was cool to be a part of something like that. Yeah, it was cool to get to see that. And uh, I, I didn't get to listen to a ton of the game action or, or to you kind of talking in the lead up to it. Uh, but I did see some of the posts on the Superstation Facebook page. Looked like a really fun night. And we talked about it yesterday as well in the morning sports desk uh, about what they're doing. And it's just a. Uh, I mean, it's just fun. 50 seasons of volleyball in Minnesota. It's a milestone. It's a, a victory lap, if you will, uh, for the progression. Like you said, it started out with 8,000 girls in it, now up to 20,000. Uh, it's really, really cool. Really, really fun. Uh, Corey, you also had a volleyball game last night between the Tigers and the Trojans. How did that game go? Nevis is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> They're really, really good. I think, I think according to the QRF, it's maybe like... 26th in class a mm-hmm. and but they're like a top 10 team according to some other polls that exist right and um they're much closer to a top 10 team than they are to 26th wow they're awesome they're very very what they're, a, what they're about them good. makes them awesome i don't know man just good balance they have the best athletes on the floor uh they have uh, uh, their setter's incredible. They pass the ball well. They serve the ball well. They hit the ball well. They block well. Uh, they they move well. They, like, I don't know. Have you ever seen a good athlete? They got six of them on the floor at all times. <laughs> They're really good. It was fun to watch. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So that was your uh, game last night up in speaking, of course, the 50th uh, season of high school volleyball being honored and and all that good stuff. So awesome, awesome. Uh, speaking of awesome things happening, Corey, the Minnesota Twins uh, win again. They now have 84 wins on the season, although it doesn't really matter how many wins they have at this point because they've already clinched the American League Central. Yep. Uh, things still stand the same if the season ended today. Even though Houston lost last night to Seattle, they still hold the sixth seed, although it's only by a half game. And uh, looking at the way that these playoffs are, are, are shaking up the Twins, needing to kind of get some things together, get some things kind of meshed right, and that's what they're planning on doing. But we'll talk about that in a second. First off, what Matt Walner did to a baseball yesterday would have gotten him convicted of war crimes by the Geneva Convention. He absolutely murdered that thing. I was, uh, my usual routine, I'm going to give you a, a little insight. When I, I, I do a game a week, and it's an opportunity for me to, when those games are over with, I usually call my folks. It's like a once-a-week opportunity to uh, check in with them and just see what's, what's going on. And uh, I called my dad, and he goes, uh, Matt Walner just hit the longest home run I've ever seen at Target Field. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Farther than the Jim Tomey home run? Because that was insane what Jim Tomey did. He goes, it went halfway up the seats in right field. And I was like, that's a bomb. And then I saw it. I saw a highlight of it. Right field is not quite. That's like That was like right center field that yeah. he hit it. And it went halfway up. He obliterated that baseball. I've never seen anything like that. Statcast said it was 463 feet. Yeah. And, you know, who knows if that's accurate or not. I think the way Target Field is with the seats being so, like, they're straight up. Yeah. You know, like, sometimes it might, like, misjudge of how far it actually went. But that's still, that's still a moonshot. And 
there's a couple things about it. One, I still can't find the ball. I've watched that replay maybe 50 times. I still don't know where that ball landed. It could still be floating around in space right now. Well, it's funny because there's nobody up there, right? It's a Tuesday night during they're, the school year. They're there's, playing a team with 108 losses in Oakland. There's nobody in those in those seats but three people in the shot in the camera shot, and they're just... They're going straight up. It's like watching Plinko in reverse. They're just trying to figure out where that ball might be and, and, and weave their way up the they're not using the stairs they're like climbing over the seat it was an incredible home run it's incredible and the other thing about it was justin morno's call so justin morno the bases were loaded for walner two out it was a 3-1 count and morno because walner is a big swing and lefty and morno is a big swing and lefty yep. like morno knows exactly what his approach is going to be and morno's like 3-1 count bases loaded it's like i'm swinging basically I'm paraphrasing. I was like, I'm swinging out of my shoes trying to hit a home run here. Yep. And Walner did. And Bramer, and I appreciate him on this, he was, he just got quiet. He just let that happen because Morno basically called it. Yeah. And that thing just towered and towered. And Morno like, could tell that Bramer wasn't going to say anything. And so Morno's like, okay, I guess I got to say so. He's just, oh my. <laughs> like That's the only thought he could muster is – and then he gets out a sentence after they're going, I've never seen a ball hit that far at target field. It was crazy. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was his, that was a grand slam. That's a right? grand slam. Walner has two grand slams this year. And that's what they're Royce doing Lewis grand has slams. like three grand slams this year. Yep. Carlos Correa has one yep. grand slam this year. It's the most it's tied for the most grand slams the twins have hit in a season. Also, the the pitcher had walked the bases loaded. Uh-huh. So this is another thing I, I learned in that conversation. It was not that the pitcher had walked the bases loaded, but the three batters previous did a really good job of not offering at any of the off-speed stuff. Uh-huh. So he had to come with something to Walner. I mean, you have you can't walk another guy, right? You yeah. have to throw a strike. You have to. More times than not, the batter's going to get themselves out. Well, Walner did exactly like... You talked about with Morno. One of my favorite characteristics of Justin Morno was that when the count was in his favor, he would do this thing where his eyes would get really big and he'd puff up his cheeks. Uh huh. And then he'd swing harder than anybody I'd ever seen. He would try to hit. He would try to hit home runs. It was never about. You'd hear players, Twins players in the past say, ah, "I was just trying to get good wood on it, right? I was just trying to barrel something up." And Morno would be like, "I'm trying to hit this ball 500 feet. I'm trying to hit it into the third deck above the baggie at the Metrodome." Yes. And Walner did. He's like, "This guy has not thrown anything off speed for a strike, mm-hmm. which means he has to come." with something fast and straight, and I'm going to be ready. And he was. And he was. He absolutely destroyed that thing. Uh, it's it's crazy, the production that the Twins are getting from these rookies and from uh, this team. It feels like they're getting hot at the right time. And, and, look, they've done studies on this. It doesn't matter if you're playing bad, if you're playing good, if you're playing indifferent. Once you get to the playoffs, literally nothing matters. Like, it's just, it's a completely new season. Everything kind of changes because the game just is so much different than the regular season. But I it's better it, than not to be playing well as the Twins go into the second half. They have a 96-win pace since the second half started, and they only the Orioles have a better record since the All-Star break. And, and I'd be interested to know, too, like, does playing... The studies show that it doesn't matter if you're playing bad or, or playing well or whatever. But is that just taking into account wins and losses? Like, it doesn't matter. I 
I'm not sure. Like, I haven't looked like at the nitty gritty of the study, but that's but kind of that, what I've you heard. know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's still important to be playing good baseball. Whether that tr- is translating to wins is one thing, right? It's it, um, but you know, are you are you, they've got some pieces in place, and they're you know take advantage of a really bad Oakland team, you, like like 109 doing. losses for Oakland. Yeah, and, it's insane. And and by the way, you can play bad and beat Oakland, so. Can you play well at the end of the season? Like that's that's sort of like the middle ground that needs to happen here. But mm-hmm. uh, that first playoff game, by the way, is is Tuesday, so they'll play Sunday to wrap up the regular season. Mm-hmm. They get Monday off. The first playoff game comes Tuesday, like you mentioned, against opponent kind of yet to be determined. Yeah, right now it is the Astros. Could still be the Rangers. Could still be the Mariners. Could still be the Blue Jays. There, like we probably won't know until Monday morning. Or Sunday afternoon. Can I give you uh, 90 seconds to kind of spew on something? Yeah. It was, uh, again, continuing the conversation I had with my dad last night, um, he kind of threw out the question. It's something we've talked about very briefly off air, um, but it is kind of an important one because the Twins seem to be kind of clicking here at the end of the season. Uh-huh. What are the Twins going to do about Byron Buxton? And that is meant more specifically like does he make the wild card is he on the roster for the wild card uh, playoff series and then reassessed from there like what is what's going to happen what do you think is going to happen what do you want to happen what there's a lot of weird ground that's that's happening with Buxton right now yeah first of all I want Byron Buxton to be starting in center field for game one I think every Twins fan wants that and I think Byron Buxton wants that it's a matter of progressing and getting him healthy to do that he's going to do a simulated game today and they're kind of going to see how he is and how he recovered, mainly, and the more important thing is how he looks tomorrow. But, look, I think, at the very least, Byron Buxton does need to be on the postseason roster if he can go. But at the same time, like, he's rushing himself back like he's tried to do because he wants to play. He wants to get in these games. He doesn't want to miss time. And then he sometimes opens the door to him not re-aggravating, but just necessarily not quite playing at full strength. So I think... You know, realistically, if you're on a gut level, I feel I feel like Buxton's not going to be on the wild card series roster. But if you're the Twins, are you like, what if we keep Buxton rehabbing and resting, and we hope we get past that wild card series and potentially in an ALDS, then you have Byron Buxton out there game one in center field. Is seventy-five uh, percent Byron Buxton um, better than what they currently have going? Better than like an Andrew Stevenson being on the roster? Yeah, I would say so. But starting in center field. Yeah, I I mean, look, I know he hasn't had a good season, but he's talented. You gotta let him you gotta let him get a shot. And it's the playoffs. You gotta just throw your best guys out there. And the thing with playoff baseball, like we talk about with pitchers, if Buxton doesn't have it, yank him. Like that's Michael A. Taylor can fill in. You have some other options. Willie Castro can fill in. Uh but I think Buxton is I mean, he's just so good. He's I know he hasn't had the season that he's wanted to, whether injuries, whether when he's played, he hasn't hit very well, but we all know Byron Buxton. We all know he's a streaky, streaky player, and you want to bank on him having a hot streak at the most important time in the playoffs. And I know people say, well, just get him off the roster. We don't need him. The Twins do need him. He's talented. The Twins haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. It's all hands on deck. 
at this point. And if Byron Buxton can provide even a little bit of value, the Twins will take that on the roster over a player like an Andrew Stevenson. And I think another thing that's important to keep in mind with the playoffs is during the regular season, the Twins at most can have 13 pitchers on the roster. So they do that. And so the other 13 players are position players. In the postseason, uh, the Twins will have less than 13 pitchers because they want more hitters. You want more bench options in, in terms of like postgame running or substitution, defensive situations. Uh, so you could very well see that the Twins can easily make room for Byron Buxton on this postseason roster and you don't carry like a Josh Winder on your team. Or maybe you don't carry uh, some other kind of under uh, down the wire down in the in the shuffle pitcher. I think Byron Buxton does end up on the playoff roster at some point, but again, you know, is it for the wild card series? I don't necessarily think so. But maybe I'm thinking too much ahead. On a gut level, I feel like Buxton is not quite ready to go, but Buxton has came back when he's not quite been healthy anyway. So, we'll see. This has been the Morning Sports Desk for Wednesday, September 27th.